From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Fifteen seconds. Guidance is internal. Ten, nine, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again, and thank you for joining us on the astronomy podcast known as Space Nuts. My name's Andrew Dunkley, and with me from the Australian Astronomical Observatory is Fred Watson. Hello, Fred. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing in this nutty morning? Yeah, well, it is a bit <laughs> nutty around here. We've got <laughs> yeah. some strange weather happening in our part of the world. We've had an Indian summer. Yesterday, the, the low was 10 degrees. Today, it's 1. We're all oh, over right. the place like a mad woman's breakfast. Um <laughs> But it's good to see you, Fred. Good to talk to you again. Uh, today, we're going to investigate some mystery flashes that have been spotted from space that are emanating on Earth. Uh, entangled protons. I could go anywhere with that, but we'll just um, sit on that for a moment. And quantum theory. It looks like some theories have been proven true that were previously not thought to be right. But uh, here we go around the roundabout by the sound of it. Uh, but first of all, Fred, some mystery flashes that have been spotted from space emanating from Earth. Uh, what uh, what could these be? Uh, well, mystery flashes is probably as good as it gets in terms of uh, an elegant description of these phenomena. Um, it, this comes from a, a spacecraft. Uh, it's operated by NASA and uh, in combination with the, uh, the National Oce Oceanic uh, um, Agency in, in the uh, USA. So uh, this spacecraft, uh, which is called Discover, uh, which is a fairly sort of contrived uh, acronym for Deep Space Climate Observatory. Uh, the spacecraft sits one and a half million kilometers from Earth towards the sun. So it's always in a point exactly between the sun and the Earth. It's where the gravity of the sun and the gravity of the Earth cancel out. So it's a stable point. It's mm. got a name it's called the Lagrange point so this discover spacecraft sits there looking back at the earth all the time of course it sees the sunlit face of the earth um, and every hour or so it takes an image so uh, during the first year of operation which was sort of mid 2015 to mid 2016 um, people noticed uh, not just the the clouds and the uh, you know the climatic aspects which are exactly what this spacecraft was designed to do they also noticed bright flashes coming from the Earth's surface. And you kind of might be forgiven for thinking, well, it's pointing, you know, the, the sun's light's falling on the oceans, reflecting back, and you're getting a glint off the, off the oceans, um, which is a reasonable explanation. The 
requirement for that though would be that you'd need fairly smooth water for that to happen because the the oceans are fairly rough yes and uh, with with rough seas you don't get a, a direct reflection but what was the what was the killer for that theory was the fact that these flashes were occurring over land as well as over sea and then you might think okay well what about lakes and ponds and things like that reflecting the sunlight back uh, but it turns out that these flashes were far too bright for that to be the case, mm. much, much too bright for it to be the odd pond or, you know, dam or whatever, uh, reflecting light back. So the scientists actually from a couple of American universities who, who have been looking at this um, did something fairly clever. They looked at water in a different form and wondered whether this could be caused by ice ah. in the atmosphere. Okay. And... We know, um, we, we, know we, we know from, you know, mega years of study that um, ice tends to form in tiny crystals in the atmosphere. And very often they form in little flat crystals that if you, if you magnified them up, they would look like hexagonal plates. They're flat and they're six-sided. And these things uh, tend to sit horizontally in the atmosphere they they sort of they, i guess they're falling and because they're, they're falling with their flat surface going downwards that tends to uh, you know the air pressure tends to keep them keep them horizontal mm. uh you, you actually there are phenomena you can see from the ground that demonstrates that um and i saw one uh, actually at the weekend i was at a place called blackheath in the blue mountains and on the way there i saw a sun pillar the sun was way down low on the horizon and above it was a tower of light and that's something um, I've seen several times in the Arctic, and it's caused by ice crystals, these little flat plates of ice in the atmosphere, all sitting horizontally, and they all reflect the light of the sun back to you. So you see a column of light above the sun. Um, it's uh, so you know you can you can prove quite easily that there are flat crystals of ice in the atmosphere without going into space. Anyway, the uh, the scientists who were looking at this did a calculation. Uh, and uh, showed that if you had, you know, a few um, kilometers of cirrus cloud, these high clouds where these flat crystals form, then you might get reflections of the intensity that they were seeing uh, in the in the camera. But there was one further step that they took, which was the clincher for this. And this is really a very neat thing that is typical of what scientists do. Um, this The spacecraft, uh, the Discover spacecraft, doesn't just have a camera on board it. It's also got a spectrometer on board it, a device that splits light up into its rainbow colors and looks for that kind of barcode of information that tells you about w what the light has passed through and where it where it originated and what they what they could see uh was the spectrum of oxygen in this in the um in the spectra of the flashes and they measured uh the the intensity of the oxygen signal and sure enough it turns out that it was weaker than it would have been if these reflections had been coming from the ground. Yeah. So what it's telling you is that the light has gone through less oxygen uh, be, um, than it would have been if the reflection had been coming from ground level or sea level. Uh, they did the calculation and demonstrated that these reflections are coming from between five and eight kilometers above the Earth's surface, which is exactly where these clouds are. So I think that's the clincher. It's a very nice piece of work uh, demonstrating that ice crystals can you know they can put bright flashes into the into the uh, lenses of spacecraft yeah i mean it's it's good that they've solved the mystery it's disappointing it isn't aliens signaling the mothership <laughs> but um it, it, there would have to be a massive number of these crystals to create such a flash wouldn't there 
Indeed, that's right. And, and um, you know, ice crystals are, are very common in cirrus clouds. We often see them manifested as well um, as, as a halo around the sun. You sometimes oh, see yes, this I've thing, that. it's called a 22-degree mm. halo. That's actually, uh, they're also hexagonal crystals, but they're a slightly different shape. Those ones are, are like, uh, you know, a, a, the shape of a, a, a pencil stub, a hexagonal crystal, yeah, but longer a, than it is. i a photo of it one, one day. Yeah, yeah, and they're very impressive. So that's that's uh, that's showing you that these crystals are uh, very, very, uh, very uh, prolific. There are billions of them, uh, and it, and so you know if you've got a large cirrus cloud with a lot of the flat type of crystals in it, then you're going to get these reflections. And maybe this is something to look for in the future on exoplanets. Exactly oh! so. That's why people are so excited about it, because Aha. it might be a way of probing whether you've got ice in the atmospheres of exoplanets. Yeah, well right. done, Andrew. You should, be, you should be sitting at this end, not the other end. No, it was just a lucky <laughs> guess. Oh, that's all it was. <laughs> all right. Well, that's good news. Uh, mystery flashes solved. Uh, you're listening to Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Space Nuts. Next up, Fred, something I completely and utterly have no clue about, quantum entanglement okay i'll just sit here for five minutes while you explain oh that's a pity i was hoping you'd tell me what it was about uh something scientific oh that sounds good yeah it is so look this is going uh you know to uh, the other extreme of complexity in a way because we're delving here into the quantum world Hmm. and the world of the very small um in particular um in when you look at things on very small scales indeed, and we're talking now about single electrons and single photons of light and things like that, the, the, the absolute minuscule, uh, quantum effects come into play and these entities can behave in a very unusual way. Um, so if you imagine an electron, we, we all know what electrons are, they're the things that cause electricity to flow, um, but imagine it as a little particle. When it's in a, a, a state called quantum superposition, which is just a technical word for saying it's in this kind of weird magical state then it can be in more than one place at, at once uh, which is slightly odd um, plus the fact that it can be uh, in two different states at once so if you imagine a, 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 the electron as a little ball a bit like a tiny billiard ball <clears throat> and imagine it spinning <clears throat> excuse me a big bunch the, the electron can be if it's in a quantum state it can be spinning in two directions simultaneously oh boy Work, Work that one out. Yeah, gosh. I mean, you're starting to talk about um, transfer beams on Star Trek, you know. that's <laughs> It's the very, yeah, it is the weird stuff. And in fact, that's kind of where this story is going. Because um, there is this uh, curious phenomenon called quantum entanglement. So if you think still about this electron, but now imagine that it's got a, a twin, that there are two electrons which have been created by the same source. And um, they can be in this state of entanglement, which means that they behave like a single entity. So even though there are two of them, they're behaving like one object. But then what you can do is take one to one place and take the other to the other place, and they will still maintain this entangled property. Whatever it is, and we really don't understand the, the, the mechanics of how this work, they are connected in this strange way. And what actually happens is that if you... Um, check the spin of one of them, 
then the other one immediately responds. And it doesn't matter how far away these things are. It sort of tends to contradict Einstein's special theory of relativity, because you're saying, well, you look at one thing and the other thing simultaneously reacts to that. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it is a very, very subtle effect. Um, it has a practical application, though, and that is that you can use this quantum entanglement to act as an encryption device for codes. If you want to pr produce an unbreakable code, um, then you can use it by having quantum entangled signals. Uh, and what that means is that if you send one signal to one place and the other signal to the other, um, it, you, you know that, it, that your uh, message has been hacked because the other signal will, will respond. I'm not explaining this very well, Andrew, <laughs> but the, the University of Vienna has been working on this for, I guess, 20 years or so. And they're the kind of the leaders in quantum encryption and quantum entanglement and sending <clears throat> particles lots of you know, great distances apart and then checking that they're still entangled. Um, so that sets the scene for the story. I can see by your face, uh, it's not been a particularly uh, explanatory scene setting, but I'll keep going. I just, I, I guess it's because it's it's so complicated and and so um, vast a concept. It's 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 very hard to absorb. It's weird stuff. It's counterintuitive. You know, we, we think we know the way the world works, but in quantum theory, nothing works the way you expect it to. Mm. Um, the, the bottom line and the reason why I'm spouting on about this is that uh, we've now seen the record for the distance of quantum entanglement uh, broken, uh, in fact, smashed into pieces by the Chinese, Chinese scientists using a spacecraft uh, which uh, actually uh, can generate uh, quantum particles. It's, they call it a quantum satellite. I'm not sure what else it can do. But one of the things it has done is generated uh, beams of light. Now, beams of light are made of subatomic particles called photons. And so what they've done is they've generated these uh, photons from a laser. And what they've done is entangled pairs of photons. So you've got two photons come from the same laser. They're entangled. They've got this magical connection between them. You send one to a ground station in one place. You send the other to a ground station somewhere else. And in fact, the distance between these two ground stations just happens to be a, a little over 1,200 kilometers. Uh, and then when you receive them, you check one of them out and check that the other one responds in the way that it would do if it was entangled. And that then proves that the two particles have arrived in this entangled state. So you've basically got entanglement recorded over an enormous distance, 1,200 kilometers. Um, so it's sort of pushing the boundaries of what might be possible with the ultimate aim of this um, uncrackable un un code uh, encryption, which is really what quantum entanglement is aiming for. I think there might be other uses for it too, but I haven't quite worked out what there might be. Yeah. The, uh, the encryption's the big one. Well, they're going to be very disappointed when they figure out um, all the entanglement was caused by blue tech. But um, <laughs> that aside, we are on the cusp yeah. of, uh, of quantum physics and quantum computing and yes, quant quantum right. this and that. And here, here's another example of it, I suppose. But um, if we ever crack all this and figure it all out, what could it possibly mean for the, for the future of uh, science and humanity? Actually, I think there are some really quite profound things that might come from this because quantum entanglement suggests that 
um, you know, the the normal concepts of time and distance that we use are actually a little bit artificial, mm. and that um, deep down there's some more profound reality uh, in which <laughs> maybe everything's happening at the same time and in the same place. Uh, and, and what we see as space and time is just an illusion. Einstein certainly believed that time was an illusion uh, because it's a dimension that uh, behaves a lot like the dimensions of space. But of course, uh, we don't see it all at once like we see t uh, space all at once. So um, maybe that is just uh, the next step that um, when we understand quantum physics, uh, we'll we'll understand how the universe works in a different way. And well, maybe you and I wouldn't have to sit at opposite ends of a <laughs> of a quantum uh, uh, internet connection to uh, to do these podcasts. We could do them, you know, just simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, and uh, knock over a thousand of them in one hit. Um, yeah, exactly, that's right. <laughs> and and get to replay that tee shot on the eighth last Saturday. Then that'd be all was right. It good? Too. No, was it a good. One? It was horrible. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, fascinating, confusing but uh, also very exciting. Uh, you're listening to Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and, of course, Fred Watson. What a matchup! And what a team, Mike. Metro PCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Oh, impressive. Play with the best. Switch to Metro PCS and get a 32-gig iPhone SE for $0. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Claim based on talk and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on our T-Mobile network or active on Metro PCS in the past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Okay, we checked all four systems and team with a go. Space Nuts. Finally, Fred, uh, some observations from the Hubble Space Telescope. And we've already mentioned Albert Einstein once or twice um, today, but uh, he's, he's sort of coming up again because... Uh, it, it looks like some of his theories, which for a while I think were debunked, have now been unbunked. Is that right? <laughs> Um, it's, a, it's a little bit um, less bunky than that, actually, because um, the, this is just an additional confirmation of his general theory of relativity. Mm. Um, um, you know, before you zone out after the discussion about <laughs> quantum entanglement. Well, um, you, you know me... what? You've you found a way to shut me up. There you are. <laughs> well, that's good. Don't tell let me Let me mention that, that relativity is the, the, you know, one of the two big theories of the way we think the universe works. One is quantum theory. The other is relativity. Relativity works on the very large scales. Quantum theory works on the very small scales. Sadly, the two are actually incompatible, but never mind. That's all right. That's a problem that, again, we need to resolve. Um, why is this, why is relativity in the news? Well, because we, we, um, we in the world of astronomy, I guess, um, hold the general theory of relativity as our kind of fundamental guide. It's how, the, how we explain the phenomena that we see in the universe. And it's actually been proved to be correct many, many times with a very, very high degree of accuracy. So general relativity is something that is a kind of rock, rock foundation that we build all our theories on, like the Big Bang and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. um, the, the reason why it's newsworthy at the moment is uh, that yet another proof of relativity has been demonstrated using the Hubble telescope. Uh, one of the things about relativity uh, is that it predicts, well, it, it shows that um, if you've got mass in space, matter in space, like a planet or a galaxy or whatever, it will bend the space around it. Mm. And actually, that's how relativity was first proved back in 1919, by looking at the, uh, the effect on stars of the sun's 
uh, presence in the sky. It was done during a solar eclipse, actually, uh, so that you could still see the stars, even though the sun was in the same direction. And sure enough, these stars appeared to be in a different position from where they are when the sun wasn't there at a different time of the year. Um, an interesting story that we haven't really time to, to dwell on, but uh, this has been done again, but this time not with the sun, uh, but with another star. In fact, a white dwarf star. White dwarf stars are, are kind of things about the size of the Earth, but with a mass of a whole star in them. So they're intense gravitational uh, sources. And this particular white dwarf star, uh, which um, rejoices in the name Stein 2051b, uh, great name for a white dwarf, what it's done is it's passed in front of... Um, uh, a, a much more distant star and uh, the Hubble has been able to observe this really ra rather remarkably that the motion of this white dwarf uh, in front of the other star and sure enough uh, when the white dwarf passed in front of the other star the background star's light was deflected exactly in the way that Einstein predicted so it's the same thing as was done in 1919 with the sun hmm. but this time doing it with a white dwarf star it's the first time it's um, it's been uh, you know demonstrated with with a star like this Einstein thought this would be impossible he thought you'd never get a close enough alignment between two stars to witness this but he didn't know about the Hubble telescope no, he didn't. and he didn't know about the stuff that we can do these days so it's a really nice demonstration once again that Einstein was well, probably one of the smartest blokes in the 20th century. Yeah, they've just uh, released a mini-series about him, which Indeed, I, I have recorded, right. but I have not yet had a chance to watch, catching up on all my favourite TV shows. But I'm really keen to watch this and see how they portray him and how yes. how his life developed, because it starts in his early childhood, and um, it was during a pretty volatile time in the uh, in the history of Germany and um, and, and growing up in a... Yeah, not so nice environment from what I understand. Well, that's right. As, uh, uh, look, it's a fascinating story. And of course, um, you know, um, Einstein, uh, being being Jewish, he uh, he uh, basically became the, you know, the anathema for the Nazis. They thought his theory was a was a Jewish conspiracy. Mm. Terrible stuff. Oh, what a horrible. terrible environment to live in. But uh, the but, good news for us is he ended up in the United States and he, he, did. he, he did warn the Americans of the potential for an atom bomb and they ignored him, but exactly. they eventually figured it out. And uh, Yeah, yeah. He did some good stuff. Yeah, incredible <laughs> he man. Did some, he, he did some bad stuff as well, but <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't particularly good at relationships. And no. I think that, that's something that dogs a few scientists. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it goes with the territory, I think. You've got such an expansive brain and there's so much going on and day-to-day um, -day stuff must seem so trivial and non-important mm. sometimes, I guess. It's just a theory. But, um, <laughs> you should yeah. publish that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's been done. Uh, Fred, as always, uh, thank you. Great pleasure, Andrew. Good to talk to you again. And we might um, we might get away from the realms of quantum entanglement next time. <laughs> so please <laughs> well, tune in again. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. I'm sure um, uh, those that uh, really are into that element of. Um, I don't know, space and time would be would be captivated and um, it, it's worth talking about and I'm sure there'll be more to learn. And look, as you said earlier, what it could mean for the future of humanity is um, hmm. incalculable at the moment. Indeed so, it is. Uh, Indeed. certainly is a space to watch. Uh, Fred, thank you. Uh, that's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory and from me, Andrew Dunkley. 
Uh, always appreciate your feedback. Don't forget to send us your uh, messages and questions via Facebook. You'll just find Space Nuts on, uh, on your Facebook search. And you can listen to us um, just about on any podcast platform these days. And don't forget Stuart Gary's Space Time. We work in conjunction with Stuart, who, uh, who has a podcast out uh, a couple of times a week now. Uh, until next time, thank you for listening to Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com. From Audioboom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies soldiers, and top-secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify, or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.